Welcome to The Founder's Mind, a podcast powered by the Kadar Group. This is your host, Adam Mutchler. Before we kick off the conversation with Paige, if you've had a chance to listen to some of the recent episodes you may have heard, we're bringing on a sponsor for the show and we couldn't be more hyped to share the news. We're currently producing season two to be sponsored by Upside Business Travel. More on all of this soon. And now, in this episode, we have Paige McFeely, founder and CEO of BASE, a platform that is modernizing the way executive assistants work. Listen in as Paige sheds light on her journey in founding and growing BASE, the work that goes into intentionally hiring a diverse team and beyond. Welcome to the Founder's Mind. We are here at Rise of the Rest CEO Summit at the Eaton in DC with Paige, the CEO of BASE, a portfolio company of Rise of the Rest. I could intro you myself, but I would probably do a poor job. So Paige, I would love to hear from you. What are you up to? What is base? What are you working on? Absolutely. What's rolling? Yes. Yeah, so my name is Paige McFeely. I am the CEO of base and we are building the first ever software for executive assistance. Um, a little bit of backstory there. I started a remote uh, executive assistant staffing agency a handful of years ago and really quickly realized that EAs don't have any tools to call their own, mm. uh, yet they were this huge, huge um, provider of leverage to the executives they supported. So we wanted to find some ways to add more leverage downstream for them. So nice. here we are. And how long has the business been around? Formally about a year. Okay. Uh, but we were kind of chewing on the idea for a number of years before that. All right. All right. And it's out in the wild? It is out in the wild. We are just closing our seed round now. Wow. So yeah, we're ready to really put the put our foot on the gas and go for it over the next year, year and a half. That's amazing. So yeah. I'm always curious, you know, what, what you had an idea, mm-hmm. right? And when did the idea sort of start? And what was the inflection point? from idea to, okay, I'm going to do something. Sure. So at the former business, 33 Vincent, um, we were always looking for ways to perfectly combine the technology yeah. tools that were out there right yeah. now. So we became power users of everything because we were rapidly researching everything that was coming along. But then our executives would come to us and say, we need my EA to use these 15 tools that I use. And so we were learning really quickly by watching their use cases and then mm-hmm. the research we were doing kind of the best ways to do it. And so after, gosh, probably a year or two of troubleshooting the best way to kind of patch tools together, um, we got tired of saying, I wish it would, I wish there was a tool that could do this, this, and this. (laughs) And so a little more than a year ago, I officially stepped away from 33 Vincent to focus on building base. Okay. Yeah. And what was one of the first things that you did? Great question. So, um, Right away, I was introduced to a startup studio out of Indianapolis called High Alpha. Cool. Um, and they're a really unique model because they're traditional VC fund, but then they're also a studio company where they actually co-found the businesses with you. So okay. I know this industry, I know the role, I know the needs of EAs, um, but I don't have a software background. Mm. I had never interviewed engineers. I'd never managed engineers. I'd never let a product stand up. And so the blend of bringing my skill set and knowledge to their value of pattern recognition, their resources, um, and funding too was it was just kind of a perfect solution for us. So and when we when we partnered with High Alpha on day one, I had access to four full time engineers, wow. marketing, sales, uh, finance, HR, and we still have access to a bunch of that. And so it allowed me to really focus on on getting those initial sales, building up my team getting clarity on the roadmap while 
they kind of handled the rest. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Having that team from the get-go. It's great. That's a big topic, right? How do you hire that team? How do you build that team? And you started with a team. Started with a team and they sourced the majority of our team. Actually, maybe even all of the team. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So they found Jeremy, who's our VP of product and engineering, who has just been tremendous. They found him on LinkedIn, reached out to him. um, And he thought, no, I get these things all the time, Uh but you know, I'm a fan of this. Maybe I'll know somebody. And then he was like, oh yeah, I'm into this. So yeah, it's been a huge value add for us. I always ask people, because I reach out on LinkedIn a lot. I'm an executive coach. I do leadership work with founders and startups and I reach out to a lot of people because I want to talk to people. And I, at my core, truly just want to build a relationship. Don't know people well enough to sell them anything. Mm -hmm. And when people say, I don't usually respond, my first question is always like, what did I say? What did I do? How did I get you to respond? So do you have any insight on that or no from that that engineer? Um, Jeremy is just kind of that type of person that everybody's his friend. So I think he always responds. I do not always respond if I get a sense that someone is trying to sell me something without taking any steps to learn about me or to get to know me. Um, But if someone is genuine and they're they, you can tell they've been thoughtful with their approach of reaching out, then I absolutely always respond. Cool, and that's a good pro tip. Um, So you've been doing this full time for a little over a year. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that have come up this year that? have kind of thrown you through a loop? So one of the challenges that we've had is how long it's taken us to fill certain roles. Sure. Um, We've had a number of quality candidates Mm -hmm. come through um, and we're a distributed team. So that gives us a lot of flexibility Mm -hmm. for being picky about Mm -hmm. who we hire. Um, Yet we've had to wait a little bit longer for some of our key roles, some of our senior software engineers, um, because we didn't want to hire another white man every yeah, single time. Let's be honest. Yeah. We're everywhere for some yeah, reason. Right. And <laughs> I mean, I love white guys. I'm married to one, but I also really didn't want a team that looked exactly the same. Yeah. So it was really important for me to hire women, to hire people of color. Sure. And we're at the beginning of this journey. We're still a really small team, but it yeah. takes time. You have to be really intentional and you have to play the long game. So that, um, I think I talked a big game before we started about how mm. inclusive and diverse our team was going to be. And then actually making that happen has been a challenge and it's it's taken some time, but we're, I'm proud of the work we've done. I think it's a really great point. And when you start, when you told the story just a moment ago about how you plugged into this studio and then they helped you hire, the conversation in my head was, oh, they're gonna, like, are you just perpetuating? Will that be sort of the same type of people? And so if you're able to shed a little light on what is that work that you have to put in to find people that aren't just one referral away? Right. Yeah. So, um, High Alpha, they're in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And so they've got a really, really great network there. I'm not in Indianapolis. I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. Um, and I'm one of their only remote teams. So while they do offer this tremendous sourcing resource, a lot of the benefit is is if you're in Indianapolis, which mm-hmm. I'm not. So it kind of pushed them out of their comfort zone too to take a broader net um, and to get a a more diverse pool of candidates in there. And I think there were probably times where they wanted me to stop asking (laughs) for that. (laughs) Um, But it was just, it was really, really important to us. On 
on our side, the things that we did have control of, what groups are we in? Who are we reaching out to? Who are we just getting to know, even though we're not ready to hire for certain roles? Sure. Um, So there are tons and tons of organizations out there where, you know, women who code, Mm. black women who code, lesbians who code. You can just get out there, join them, um, even just follow their newsletters and get to know their content, um, knowing that I'm probably not going to hire someone from those networks right away, but at least I know where to look. I think that that what you just mentioned really resonates with this idea of like building relationships mm-hmm. and relationships precede results. And that's something I think about a lot and I talk about a lot. And putting in that work and that time and that energy in the beginning, you know, even when there isn't that maybe transaction or moment where there's an exchange, it's just let's get to know a community or let's let a community get to know us. Yeah. And what our priorities are. That's something we've thought a ton about at base because while we are building software for executive assistants, we're also wrapping a layer of community around that. Mm-hmm. EAs are often sort of on an island within their organizations and there's not a lot of shared um, resources, tools, training, best practices. And so we want to provide that. That was something that was really great. And my first company, 33 Vincent's, what kept people there, what still keeps people there. Um, and But we want to do that on a broad scale. And so now as we're in this early Um, kind of precarious stage where the results really, really matter. We're trying to walk that line of how can we provide valuable content and resources um, to show that we really believe in this industry and we want to support it, even though it may not have a direct line to revenue or to sales. Right. EAs are generally not the buyers for us. They don't have their own discretionary budget, yet we want to be unabashed cheerleaders of them. And so walking that line of (laughs) figuring out how do we do that, even though it may not be a direct line of revenue, is a challenge for us. I think it's interesting. And I wonder if there's an opportunity either in the short or long term where EAs, and for those that didn't catch the acronym executive assistant, um, can advocate for a budget, even a small one. Hey, to make my life easier so that I can continue to make your life easier. Absolutely. Um, yeah, having that having that resource. I think so. And our grand vision for BASE is really to change the conversation. Right now, I think assistance in any form are, are widely considered to be a luxury. Mm. Um, but I think if we do our jobs right in the next five, 10 years, it's going to be considered a best practice for an EA to be among your first five hires in a startup. Yeah. And if you're in a large corporation, anybody who you consider to be a high performer really ought to have some access to an assistant. And so through this conversation, we want to democratize access to assistants. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, it's talking about how do you incentivize them to enjoy their role, to stay there, and to want to be that servant leader within your organization. I know that the average EA exec tenure is only about three years. Wow. Right. And and transitioning from one EA to another as an executive is really, really painful. Yeah. And there so, are literally movies about it. It's so hard, yes. <laughs> and so our software will help to minimize some of that pain just because for the first time ever, all of the executive's preferences, information, everything will become portable because Got of the it. workspaces Got that we it. have in there. But there's still that interpersonal nature of it that is hard to replace. So if you've got a great exec, and I've I've heard this time and time again from execs where they don't ever want to lose their EA. And so they will pay any sum of money (laughs) to keep their executive assistant happy. I mean, I've heard one exec that I know of... um, 
he buys his assistant a brand new luxury sports car every single year. Wow. Yeah, and it's not, you know, it's not a quid pro quo or anything, but it's it's um just like I want I want you to know that you're valued and you're here. And yeah. um I'm guessing that's not something that she asked for. Sure. It's something that the executive did to take initiative to make sure that she's happy. And so finding that balance, because mm-hmm. the EAs that I've worked with so far generally aren't super comfortable asking for things for themselves right. so and empowering them to show I'm adding value, I'm creating more time in my day, I can be more strategic without having to say, hey, can I have this money mm-hmm. to buy the software? So is this is this part of the content creation? Mm-hmm. Is, is starting that empowerment and that conversation? Yeah, both for the EAs and the executives. If you really think about um, the level of strength and humility it takes to receive help well, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty it's pretty intense. It can be intense to do that right. And yeah. so I I get a lot of joy out of working with executives um, to to finding maximum potential in those relationships mm-hmm. and coaching them on how to get the most value out of those relationships because it's not an easy thing to do right. Um, and it takes a lot of self-awareness. And yeah. so our content will be focused on empowering the EAs, but also working with executives on finding the greatest value with their exe- with so their EA. Are you gonna are you gonna do a little like how to find the best executive assistant, how yeah. to vet, how to yeah, how to connect. And maybe, you know, pair them up with some of the partners that we've worked with, um, 33 Vincent, of course. But then we're also partnering with this tremendous agency called Belay. Mm. And they are they've been growing so rapidly and they're all remote virtual assistants. And so there's a lot of different things that you can do where if you don't want to do the the hard work of hiring and screening and training and all of that, you can find partners that can give you a low-risk assistant. Sure. Mm -hmm. Can you really briefly, you've mentioned 33 Vincent several times. Yes. And I know that on LinkedIn, you were a part of it. Yes. Like high-level, I don't know if that's the focus these days, but just tell us a little bit about what that is. Sure. Yeah. So I have stepped away from 33 Vincent, but it is a... um, 33 Vincent is a remote executive assistant staffing agency. Mm-hmm. So they hire the executive assistants um, through a pretty rigorous screening mm-hmm. um, process, train them, and then they match them with executives who need part-time remote support. Um, it's been growing really rapidly. I started it with uh, one of my best friends from college, and um, it's just been this tremendous life-giving community that yeah. also provides executive assistant support. So you started 33 Vincent? Started that, yes. Okay. And other other things that you have started in the past? Not officially, no. Okay, what about unofficially? Uh, so, <laughs> it's, yes, my husband is a serial entrepreneur. Okay. He's the idea guy, and I'm more of the operations logistics. Where I'm like, oh, that's going to be a lot of work. I don't okay. think we should do that. So we've got a lot of pet projects right now, okay. uh, real estate development. We All have right. dreams of opening up an Acton Academy, which is a sort of like, it's a modern schoolhouse. So okay. uh, you you have older children teaching younger children, okay. and we've got three little kids. And All right. We, we've got a lot of ideas. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I mean, I got a lot of ideas swimming too. And I always yeah. think it's interesting to even just verbalize them. And it sounds like you have, but sometimes put them outside of your inner circle. Yeah. And just see what That's comes out of it. Point. What comes yeah. up. Um, what's a piece of advice that you've received? And if there's more than one, please share that has been particularly impactful. And let's talk about uh, for base. Mm hmm. So for base in particular, um, I this opportunity kind of slapped me in the face. It was it was one that I felt like I needed to do because I was in the right position. Okay. I think I had the right background and skill set to make it a reality. But I'm not the type of person that I I don't want to be 
an entrepreneur forever and ever. I don't sure. get a rush out of pitching and it's it's a necessary aspect of this business and I think I can do it pretty well, okay. but you know, that's not that's not how I spend my time for fun. <laughs> so okay. um I think some of the advice that I've been given from other women who've done this and they've had families mm-hmm. while doing this is letting go or rather redefining what success looks like. Sure. So it may no longer be um, cleaning my own house or grocery shopping yeah, even. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been into an actual grocery store, grocery store in over a year. Thank goodness for Instacart. <laughs> um, but I think that all of us, men and women, put we assign ourselves certain baggage and you just can't do it all. And mm-hmm. so um, uh, uh, most of the advice that's been the most valuable to me is just to to let go of that and mm. just be comfortable with what you've done. Consider that to be a success rather than yeah, what you think you should be doing. Letting go is such a hard thing. It's so hard. It's like we, we have the ability to hold on to things almost as if it's our full-time job. Mm-hmm. And it occupies so much space yeah. in our mind. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you said you're a parent of three, mm-hmm. you know, you're in a relationship, you're starting not your first business. Right. Like there's a lot on your mind. Yeah. What, there's a lot what, going on. Any, anything that you've done or a practice that you have that helps yes. with letting go or clear the clear the air a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, this was another thing, piece of advice that I was going to mention. Um, I was told, I forget even who told me this, but women apologize a lot. Mm -hmm. They apologize for their feelings, Mm -hmm. for what they've done or haven't done. And someone told me, stop apologizing. Sure. Also stop using the word just. I was just writing to ask you about this. I just called or I just wanted to know. We minimize ourselves a lot. um, And that has been a really, really valuable uh, sort of forcing function for me to be more secure and confident in what I'm saying and doing. I think it's such a great awareness. Mm-hmm. Individual words and what they do, and they're simple words by themselves, just yep. by itself. Mm-hmm. And we it's talk little. about sorry. It's important to say sorry sometimes when something has happened. Right. That's you know apology Absolutely. worthy. Yeah. But there there is a tendency, like you said, to use a lot of words to qualify mm-hmm. a moment, sure, or an idea. Yes. And uh, Megan Smith was just presenting upstairs mm-hmm. at the summit. She was tremendous. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I walked in after she started and she was dropping all of this unbelievable wisdom. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know who she is. Her name isn't on the screen. I can't find a program. I need to know who Megan Smith is. And I, I ended up talking to her afterwards, but I bring her up because she just went through a rapid fire of all the areas that we bake in bias. And we, we gender, you know, ads and stories and all sorts of things. And it is super subtle. It is. To the untrained eye. It's something I've become so aware of. My, so my my children are boys. I've got three young boys. Mm. Um, so I'm raising three future white men. And it is it is my mission in life to have them be aware of the privilege that they stand mm-hmm. on, of everything that they've been given. And... And to do something about it, um, which is, it's a journey that we came to as an adult, uh, as adults, my husband and me, but how can we bake that in now? And then all the gender um, expectations put on them by everybody. Oh, you're so tough. You're so brave. You're so, you know, strong. Uh, We don't do that to little girls in the same way. Which they might be, by the way, but we don't do it to women. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like. 
I never had a single Lego set yeah. growing up, but you know what? I'm really good at them. I've learned. <laughs> yeah. It, that, it's such an amazing point that you bring up. And I have an 11 month old son. It's my first child. And I think about a lot of the same things that you're discussing right now. And one of the things that I do as an adult, and it sounds like maybe you do as well, is I ask myself, how am I leveraging my privilege? How am I leveraging my access? And I ask myself that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't just ask myself that. I find ways to do it. And an interesting thing, and I don't have the solution for children. I'm working on it as an adult. I also put myself in a lot of communities that are not my default community. Yeah, to not so be like, centered in that space. Yeah, so yeah. like I've been to Wonder Women Tech several times. I was just in Afrotech over the weekends. Awesome. It was like all these incredible environments where there are people that are so different than who you are mm-hmm. and what your default is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's incredible that you're thinking about that. What are ways that some of this, sort of some of this thinking is showing up? And I know you mentioned with hiring. Mm-hmm. and finding people. But what are ways that some of this is showing up uh, within the brand? Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of really subtle tweaks that we make to the way that we talk. Mm. So it's default for us to say he or she. Mm. Can we switch that and say she or he? Yeah. Um, and then we do a lot of brand examples or product examples and demos where the executive, you might just typically think of an executive as a man and an EA as a woman. But yeah. how can we flip that around sure, sure. with our conversations, with our examples? And then who we hire as well. We try to, whatever you think might be the go-to default for mm-hmm. that role, let's flip it where we can. So sure. it's subtle, I yeah. think. Um, or even just using she as the, the default. The default, yeah. right. Um, we so quickly default to he in almost every situation. I like to I like to poke a little bit with friends and people that I have a little bit of a little bit of trust with when I talk about a client or someone and I don't use names or uh, pronouns and they'll ask a question and I'll say, "Well, what did he do about that?" Yeah, I'm like, interesting, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it kind of gets awkward. Yeah, but being comfortable with some of that awkwardness, I think, yeah. is a big part of it, also. So many pitches for our seed round. I was, I'm, I've gotten pretty good at using EA versus mm. a gender, okay. and so many people, um, potential investors, would just default to she mm. for the EA. Um, and so, I don't think we ended up working with any of those. <laughs> I was going to say, did you make any assessments based on that? Yes, definitely. So, if any of those investors listen to this show at any point in the future, and you're like, "Damn, I missed out." That might be one of the reasons. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, it's it's a pretty interesting situation, I think. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things, and not everyone who starts a company raises money, mm-hmm. but you've done that mm-hmm. at least with Base. I don't know if you did it with your previous company. We did not. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what's it like to raise money? If, yes. you, if there's numbers that you can share, whether it's how many times you had to talk to someone, how much you've raised or We have not like that. calculated the total count yet. Um, we are closing um, our final piece today or tomorrow. Ooh. Yes. So um, no, no information right now. It depends on how long it'll take you to post <laughs> this. Uh, but yeah, we're so we're closing our final piece today or tomorrow. Um for our seed round, I would venture to guess that I had at least in the ballpark of 200 conversations. Wow. Because there's the whole journey. Yeah, you know, yeah. you've got the initial call, then the follow up yeah, calls, yeah. and then the group pitches, and then the back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so 200 might even be a low estimate. Okay. Uh, it's a gruel. Yeah. It's, it's a gruel. And I think every, every um, founder that I've spoken to that has gone through this process has agreed with me that. At some point in the process, you reach a point where you say, this is the worst idea I've ever had. There's no reason that I should be doing this. Sure. So I think maybe that's a good sign that you're doing the right thing. Right. Um, 
I learned a lot. I know what I'm good at, what I need to bring in help to talk about other things with. Um, And I'd say I was almost always the only woman in the room too. And so witnessing how the, the dynamics of that gave me a lot of confidence to either be able to combat it or to echo some of the other women in the room if they were there or other women on my team to, to try to lift our voices up a little bit. You were motivated. Is yes. that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if we've talked about this. Do you have a co-founder? I do not have a co-founder. No, I did bring over one of the... Um, She's the best EA I've ever worked with from 33 Vincent. Yes. And she's now our chief of staff. So she's really the eyes and ears of our community and of okay. our product to make sure that we are just fearlessly focused. That's on. a strong career arc. Yeah. EA to chief of staff. It's actually a pretty common yeah. uh, career progression for them. Um, and she's just, she's knocking it out of the park. And then Jeremy that I mentioned before, who's our VP of product and engineering, he did not join us before the company was formed, but in many ways he functions as a co-founder. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting in the startup space. And sometimes there's a little ego in there, like the title of co-founder or founding team. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're, and I know uh, um, Scott Case from Upside says this on his LinkedIn. He says, founding CTO. I like that. Right? Yeah. Um, and I think there are interesting ways to look at those mm-hmm. roles. Mm-hmm. And it's also important. And it's sometimes an indicator with teams. Uh where ego shows up early, yeah, and a little red flag, yeah, you know. Oh, okay, it, it, this was kind of an aha moment for me. We we don't have a lot of ego on the team quite That's yet, great. and maybe it's coming with future hires. We're hiring, so we'll see. But uh, it's it's been pretty great. Everybody just wants to see us succeed. It, it feels like everybody so far feels like it's their company. That's great, which is what we want. And I think you know there is a little PTSD about like what people's past experience have been. Sure, but when you really focus on that culture and the types of people you're interviewing and talking to and mm-hmm. what you listen for, maybe it won't show yeah. up. You know, maybe it it'll might, be a group of people not. that are really yeah. on board. Where we were trying to be very, very specific with our culture. Um, I think we've taken great leaps in defining it early on, mm-hmm. which I know is not common in in startups. Um, and we try to be intentional with hiring people who are going to expand our culture, not just fit it. So how it. can we be pushed to grow and think differently and think bigger? That's great. So hopefully closing your seed rounds imminently. Yes. Most likely before it could this be episode. Right now. Yeah, most likely before this episode <laughs> yeah. hits anything. Yep. Um, how should people follow you, follow the company? If you're raising money, you're probably gonna be hiring. Yep. Um so hiring. yeah, how should people follow along? Yeah, so you can find all of that information on basehq.com. Um, and all of the job postings are there, uh, all of our social media, you can get into our product from there mm. as well. Our blog content resources, uh, the most heavily visited place on our website, are desktop wallpapers that we put out every month. Okay. We're speaking the EA language <laughs> with that. Uh, and it, it, everybody just anxiously awaits them when they come out each month. So awesome. yeah, you can find all things about us right there. Great. Well, listen, Paige, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank it's you. great to have you in DC. Uh, and I recommend anyone that's listening, check out Base and follow along and see what they're up to. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Founder's Mind. Check back soon for season two, sponsored by Upside Business Travel. Learn more about Upside at upside.com. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love your support. Sign up to be a funder of The Founder's Mind. To support the show, you can go to the show notes or head to thefoundersmind.com 
and click the link Funder. To make sure you don't miss any awesome wisdom from guests and stay up to date on the most recent episodes of the show, be sure to visit thefoundersmind.com. You can also follow along on social at thefoundersmind. Last but not least, thank you to Roy Matz for the music on this show and his dope editing skills that make The Founder's Mind possible. Until next time, take care. Going through all of this insanity and try to bring new ideas, make them a reality. Illuminate in the thoughts, make it a priority to implement what you learn, what you get is what you be. In a world full of noise, hard to find that clarity to try to lead subtly, never full of vanity and try to change something small or try to change humanity. Power forward through the dark, Founder's Mind is what you see. Founders mind is what you see.